Uh, first, though, I want to focus on Ukraine and specifically on Kramatorsk. We have been getting these reports in and you can see these pictures here. These are the aftermath, effectively, of a Russian attack on an area of the city popular with uh, restaurants. And just to warn you, we are getting some distressing uh, details in about what people there are reporting. Now, officially, two people have been killed, 22 injured. That's from Ukrainian officials. But as you can see by some of the pictures there, the extent of the damage, rescue efforts still ongoing. It's a restaurant and shopping area, city centre, uh, basically. So as you can imagine, uh, pretty busy. And there are reports of people being trapped under the rubble and the, and the, and the debris uh, there. So um, this uh, detail coming through in the last couple of hours. We'll be keeping across uh, exactly uh, any developments from Ukraine. Uh, meanwhile, though, I want to take you to Russia and ask how President Putin has been uh, dealing uh, with the aborted mutiny uh, over the weekend, of course. Well, today he spoke to the military. He thanked them for preventing civil war. Uh, it's not quite clear, though, how they uh, prevented uh, civil war, of course, because seemingly it was the Wagner group, those group of paid mercenaries uh, that turned around themselves in that aborted mutiny attempt over the weekend. With more details now, here's our Russia editor, Steve Rosenberg. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. At the Kremlin, it was pomp with a purpose. To remind Russians he's still in charge around here, Waiting for Vladimir Putin, two and a half thousand soldiers and guards and the defence minister, the Wagner mutineers, wanted sacked. Having survived the rebellion, it was time to say thank you. You defended the constitutional order, the lives, security and the freedom of our citizens. You have saved our motherland from upheaval. In fact, you have stopped a civil war. In fact, the reality was rather different. The Wagner soldiers, who'd been cheered on the streets of Rostov, had only stopped their rebellion after the Kremlin did a deal with them, promising not to press charges against them and their leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Still, Kremlin spin is presenting this as a triumph for the president. The mutiny by mercenaries was a major challenge to Vladimir Putin's authority, but the uprising is over. And now the Kremlin is trying to change the optics to reframe what happened as a victory for the president and for Russia. But where is Yevgeny Prigozhin? Under his deal with the Kremlin, he agreed to leave Russia for Belarus. Today, the leader of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, said, yep, he's here. But in exile, could Mr. Prigozhin still be a threat to the Kremlin? Not if Vladimir Putin can help it. He's now suggesting that Russian investigators might probe the Wagner Group's finances. A less than subtle hint to the Wagner chief not to make trouble. The last few days have put him under huge pressure. Now President Putin's determined to show he's in control. Steve Rosenberg, BBC News, Moscow. And speaking just a short time ago, the NATO Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg, said the events in Russia over the weekend meant NATO would increase its commitment to helping Ukraine. 
We all saw the events in Russia over the last days. Uh, these are uh, internal Russian matters, but what is clear is that President Putin's illegal war against Ukraine has deepened divisions and created new tensions in Russia. At the same time, uh, we must not underestimate Russia. So it's even more important that we continue to provide Ukraine with our support. And I expect that our summit in Vilnius um, uh, in a couple of weeks' time will send a clear message of our commitment. And our Eastern Europe uh, correspondent Sarah Rainsford has been following developments from Warsaw. I think what we're seeing happening in Russia today is all about trying to rewrite the narrative and to reassert this kind of image of Vladimir Putin as a man in control, to try to suggest that throughout this crisis he was decisive and that he was on top of what was going on. Um, so we saw those images of him flanked by his security forces inside the Kremlin compound and thanking them uh, for what he said was their heroic action during uh, the events of the weekend, uh, remembering the pilots who were actually shot down and killed uh, during that march of the Wagner mercenaries on Moscow, although the circumstances of that are still uh, unclear. Um, so about, as I say, reasserting this idea that, that Putin is strong. Um, at the same time today, we've been hearing a bit more about what's happened to Yevgeny Prigozhin. Uh, it's been confirmed by the Belarusian president that he has arrived in Belarus, um, that his plane landed this morning and that he will be given uh, somewhere to stay there. Um, he's been told that uh, he can bed down there for a bit if he wants to. And, uh, the Belarusians will essentially look after him and indeed the same for any Wagner militants who want to follow and to join him in Belarus. What exactly they'll do there still isn't clear. Mr Lukashenko talked about uh, the idea that they could join the Belarusian army, the Belarusian defence ministry. I think one thing's clear that he won't want an independent army, potentially a threat to his own power, uh, being established in Belarus. We've also heard some very uh, colourful details from him about his own mediation efforts uh, during that crisis. Uh, I think most of that aimed at, at sort of bigging up his role and trying again to shore up this idea that Vladimir Putin was always the man in control. Well, this uh, to Carbonell is uh, from the International Crisis Group, a think tank. Thanks very much for coming on the programme. Thank you for having me. Uh, what's your response, your thoughts then, watching Vladimir Putin today and his response? Oh, well, I think it's worth restating just how shocking the events were to Russians and to Putin, all the more so because the challenge came from one of his loyalists, a man so indebted to Putin for his career that he was known as Putin's chef and then turned into Putin's war dog. Um, so it's going to be hard for Putin's propagandists to turn this episode into something that can be easily blamed on the West or decadent liberals or gays or what have you, some of the narratives that we've seen over the last year. Um, the shockwaves are going to really take some time to play out, but Putin must know that how he acts next and how allies and others in Russia do is going to be pivotal to his grip on power. Um, so I think it's all about the lessons that we draw from this episode. OK, well, what about the uh, treatment now? What, How he deals with the... Wagner Group. So we know there are attempts effectively to integrate it into the regular army. People can, uh, regular fighters can go to Belarus, they can go back home or they can uh, join the army. Uh, that leaves though still the leadership, uh, Prigozhin. How does Vladimir Putin handle him now? 
Well, I mean, we know from history that Putin doesn't deal well with people who are perceived to betray him. And he really used the strongest language in his two video messages over the weekend. And on Monday, um, when referring to Prigozhin, there was no, despite Prigozhin's attempts to say that, that you know, his challenge wasn't against Putin, that, you know, he was probably calculating Putin would try to weigh in in his feud with the military elite. Um, you know, Putin's response made the battle lines clear. Um, so it's really hard to believe uh, that he will just be able to live out his uh, time in peace in Belarus. Um, I think what we've seen so far is damage control. Um, I wouldn't really want to be in Prigozhin's shoes at the moment. What do you think his next move is then? What option does he have? I'm not sure he has that many options. I mean, uh, you know, his military unit is being uh, disbanded despite um, his most dramatic attempt to prevent that. Um, as we know, Wagner is still involved in Africa. I mean, he really tried to make himself into a man who was uh, essential to Putin and resolving all of the problems that Putin might have. Um, but he seems to have overestimated um, you know, how far he could go. Um, but this in itself shows one of the flaws of Putin's system, which is that he's kind of um, above the fray and he will allow this infighting to uh, continue between, you know, to keep his military brass on edge. Perhaps it was useful to have Prigozhin, but I think, you know, he never expected us to see this. And it also sees, shows one of the risks of a, of a forever war, um, this instability within Russia that, um, that, you know, a continued fight might bring. And going back to Vladimir Putin, longer term, you said right at the beginning, you know, this, uh, you know, it's a big question now about what happens next, how allies deal with him, how the West deals with him. How do you see this playing out? Well, I'm afraid, you know, uh, Ukrainians cheering um, and obviously what better morale boost than to see infighting among the enemy's ranks and um, the withdrawal of some of the fiercest fighters, um, you know, that they're going to hope that this disarray uh, on the front lines is going to continue, um, that even uh, were some Ukrainian officials saying that the fact that Putin struck a deal with Prigozhin shows he might be willing to negotiate. On the other hand, we've seen some Western allies increasingly worried about the, the risk of escalation given the instability within Russia and suddenly sort of chaotic scenarios there. Sadly, I think we'll see something in between. Um, I think Putin will reach for more repression, uh, more repression in Russia and a, and a kind of doubling down in Ukraine. Um, I think it's highly unlikely, especially after this episode when he's trying to show he is a man of strength and he's staked his political future on Ukraine, um, that he will back down in the fight in Ukraine. Okay, Alyssa de Carbonell, thank you very much for coming on the programme. Thank you.